The Akkad and Kokai Report, episode number 32. Welcome to the Akkad and Kokai Report, the podcast dedicated to making sense of healthcare. From policy to economics, from evidence-based medicine to ethics, join us as Drs. Michelle Akkad and Anish Koka diagnose and treat the latest epidemic of healthcare absurdities. Hello and welcome to the Akkad and, Akkad and Koka Report. Right. After, after three months, you still can't pronounce my name. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just, the Indian in me wants to say Achad. And, uh, you know, anyway. You know, I think maybe it'll stick. Maybe I should change my name. Why not? Well, uh, again, welcome, welcome, to the reach. <laughs> welcome to the Akkad and Coca Report. We are incredibly lucky to have uh, Jane Mandis here. Uh, Jane Mandis is, um, is an OB-GYN. She's medical director of the OB Hospice Group, which is a very large um, uh, multi-state national uh, uh, OB group um, that provides uh, in-hospital uh, labor and delivery for uh, multiple uh, for a, a number of different hospitals. She's also co-founder and CEO of Equity Quotient, which is a gender equity um, analytics uh, consulting company. Um, also, um, uh, most recently, a, uh, a co-author of uh, a widely read and widely discussed uh, perspective in the New England Journal, uh, along with Esther Chu and uh, Dara Cass. Um, and she's here to talk about a very important topic, uh, specifically gender bias in medicine. So welcome, Jane. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm not sure where you found me, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to have a lively discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so Jane, we'll, we'll start by, uh, by, by you. I mean, I, I mean, when I, when I invited you for the podcast, the perspective article in the New England Journal wasn't even out yet, but that provides a nice, a nice starting point uh, to, to, to have a, to, to discuss. Um, so can you just kind of go through, uh, you know, the various topics that you brought up in that excellent uh, piece? Yeah. So, you know, we, we were all, um, I think, uh, unprepared or surprised, at least I was, when the National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine came out with their report in June, which only is to say that I, I didn't realize that they were preparing that report. Um, but it was 330 pages and it was incredibly uh, comprehensive. And by that, I mean, it looked at um, all three uh, academies and it, and it looked at obviously bench and research scientists as well uh, as in our field clinicians and I think a lot of uh, a, a lot of scientists and a lot of uh, clinicians were really surprised by the report's findings. Um, they basically looked at uh, what is the status of, of women uh, gender discrimination and sexual harassment in the academies and um, the reports were uh, the news was not good we'll, we'll put it that way interestingly enough I was also surprised to see that medicine um, had the highest uh, amounts of uh, reported discrimination and and unfortunately sexual harassment and you know one of the um, one of the important takeaways of that report is that it coincided with the very first year in which the number of matriculating medical students who were female actually uh, only slightly outnumbered uh, male matriculants. And so <clears throat> the reason I think we really need to start talking about this is because we obviously have a workforce that is coming through uh, medical school and residency 
that is likely unaware, uh, unprepared for the bias and discrimination and unfortunately harassment that they are going to potentially find in their career unless we um, fix this soon. I think those of us who um, have been in medicine for a while know exactly what these statistics look like because we've lived them. <laughs> um, we, you know, we made it through residency trainings that at times uh, very male dominated, very uh, patriarchal. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us, at least of my generation, kept their, kept their nose to the grindstone as it were, kept their head down and just tried to obviously become the best possible uh, physicians that they, they could be. Having said that, um, we would like to create safe uh, learning spaces and workplaces for, um, for men and women, because it's not solely uh, directed at women, but for all people coming into the field of medicine. I think we owe it to them. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, it's a nice uh, you know, that, that, That's. Um, uh, uh, I'll tell you my thought when I when I read um, uh, this and, and then I perused through the um, uh, the academy, uh, you know, the National Academy's report. Um, I, I wonder if it's not. Uh, um, do you think it's understating the, um, um, the 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 discrimination or the harassment that um, that happens? I, you know, first of all, I, so I'm not in academia. Uh, neither one of us. I don't think any of the three of us are in academia. Uh, you know, academia, you know, there's a lot of ego. We've gone through academia because you have to, when you go to medical school, right? You, you have to go through an academic center or residency or fellowship or whatever. And, you know, clearly there are tons of really egos and power plays and, and uh, you know, pretty uh, nasty characters that we, we've come across and experienced, right? But I was... Um, so... Uh, what, what, what's kind of struck me, I mean, I hadn't thought of it before, but uh, on the one hand, we have this experience of, of academia. On the other hand, um, here you have apparently 20 or 30 years of research that comes from academia and that is published in by the national academies, which is like the, you know, uh, the top of the top in academia and then published in the New England Journal, which is like the premier academic journal. Um, and how, what do you make of that sort of strange uh, thing that on the one hand, I mean, I'll tell you what, because uh, um, we've heard about, you know, I mean, clearly there's the Me Too movement now, which was um, uh, mentioned in your article and mentioned in the, the, the NASM report, right? So the Me Too movement. Now, the Me Too movement didn't come to light from Hollywood making movies about discrimination and harassment, right? It was from the outside, you know, um, that people started, you know, to, to bring out stories in the press. Same thing in, you know, the Catholic Church, for example. It's not the Catholic Church all of a sudden that says, you know, we're harassing, we should stop doing that. In academia, it seems that, you know, I mean, I haven't seen that. I mean, it seems that it's, it's coming, you know, academia is doing its own research on its own harassments. What, what do you make of that as opposed to, to sort of stories coming out outside of academia saying, look, you know, this is, uh, this is what's happening. So, I mean, it seemed a little strange. And then you wonder if academia is doing its own research. I mean, is it? Right. <laughs> so, so if I understand kind your, of convenient. Question, yeah. your, your question is how, how, how good, how um, 
eloquent, how accurate is the research the academies are doing about their own behavior? Is that kind of... Yeah, is that right. I mean, I don't have a question. I mean, it's just an observation that... Uh, uh, elsewhere, we seem to have heard of discrimination and harassment from outside whatever institution or field or entity. Uh, but here in medicine, it seems to be coming from from academia. And I, I just thought it was it was uh, it was. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm you're not, also. Uh, you're I mean, also. It's, saying, it's fine. It, it's nice, but it's. But it, I think Michelle, you're also. You're, yeah. you're, you're also making the point that it may be it may be under recognized. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know, but uh, you know, we. When you read the report, it's kind of bland, right? I mean, it's it's sort of questionnaires and statistics and reports and clinical papers after clinical papers and clinical research, um, and and uh, so it, it doesn't have the the vividness of what you, you know people may experience when they go through this. And I just I mean, it's just an observation, and I, and I was wondering what you made of that. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of uh, likely underreported or unreported data. Um, we know, um, obviously, we're looking at this play out uh, with the Kavanaugh situation. You know, the president tweeted this morning that uh, if, if it were true what she said, she would have reported. And the fact of the matter is, I think 90% of sexual assaults go unreported. So... Um, and that's a, that's true in the general public as it is in, in academia as well. So I think, you know, I think the question, uh, how accurate is the data, is is a good one. You know, we, uh, Dr. Chu and I, decided to uh, form Equity Quotient in part because we knew there was a problem, but we also know that uh, things are not likely to change inherently based on individual stories or a compilation of stories or anecdotal evidence um, that if we wanted to change effectively and, and substantially our academies, we needed data. Um, and obviously this type of data has a subjective component. So what we tried to do in creating our, our survey tool was to um, de-identify and uh, uh, allow respondents to to speak to a third party so you know in this way it wasn't the department of medicine at mayo uh surveying themselves you know uh, we could be an uh, objective third party and we could come in and do basically a cultural analysis with discrete data points and validated questions that would then provide a dashboard of what equity looked like in that culture. And what we did was we divided uh, gender equity up into five domains. And those domains are respect, value, hiring, pay, promotion, safety, and overall workplace culture. Um, and then we can filter and, and sift the, the the results according to demographics, according to age and ethnicity, uh, academic rank, um, salary, all sorts of things. You can try to, to understand, understand the data in a significant way. I mean, we got a, we had a call yesterday actually with a department who I, I won't name, but they, they called us because they, they saw a lot of um, unfortunate behavior and, and they, they called us because they said, as a lot of people have, have called and reached out to us, we're losing our women faculty, right? 
So we know women are more likely to leave medicine or go part-time. And we, we always say, oh, well, is it because, you know, she has childcare duties or, or she has to take care of, of a sick family member or, or somehow that it's these outside obligations that end up taking on a great weight in her decision-making regarding full versus part-time versus being in medicine at all. And what we find actually when we look at the data is that oftentimes women are leaving medicine altogether or going part-time in large part due to the uh, gender discrimination and the culture of medicine that, that can make it intolerable. And then when they find out about the pay gap, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious there, but not really. But, you know, listening to these women talk to us yesterday from, from this uh, medical center, you know, then they shared with us that what hurts them more than seeing themselves or their colleagues mistreated was watching their female uh, residents come up through the program and, and thinking that, that this is going to be these young women's introduction to the study of medicine and to the culture of that specialty. And they said, this has to change. Um, and, and I think that, you know, data is where we begin to make that change because we can't really understand the problem if we can't quantify it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a common refrain that's, uh, that's made. No, I, this, this idea, the idea that, um, we can we can somehow navigate through this by just you know measuring things uh, measuring things uh, better. It's but it, as you're pointing out, it, it's kind of it's 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 a tall task since uh, since a lot of the stuff is very uh, subjective certainly. Um, but uh, you know I I was having a I, I mean I I uh, in trying to, in trying to pre prepare for this um, I, I tried to talk to a number of different folks. I spoke to actually one of the, a, a, res, a residency program director um, in a predominantly male dominated field. And I said, you know, what, you know, what, what do you, what do you think about this? Um, you're, you're in academia, you have a, you know, a, a large number of, uh, uh, there's a big uh, male to female ratio gap, not only in the residence, but in uh, eventual attendings. And, uh, and he said, no, absolutely. He thinks that um, not only is it certainly plausible and uh, uh, he, he thinks that that's the lay of the land that there's um, uh, a, there's a significant degree of, of bias when it comes to uh, uh, traditionally there has been a tradition a degree of bias when it comes to selecting uh, uh, residents um, you know whether they be male or female but then also once women are in the program that um, you know he kind of felt he kind of felt like um, folks, faculty didn't really have the tools to necessarily do a good job in, in training women. Um, in, is that in mentoring? In, yeah. And in, in, right. And in, in mentoring um, in that, you know, um, so is that something that you've, you've, you've found that um, not, not are there, there are multiple barriers in terms of uh, for women in medicine. One is of course, women going into medicine, certainly, but then even when women get in, go into certain fields that, um, that just in terms of not by, by mentoring, I mean, yeah, so he was giving me examples in the operating room where you know um, it it may very well be that that um, that this, that the same techniques that have worked with men for X number of years um, just aren't effective um, for 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 women. Um, is that something that you've you've heard of? It was interesting to me because I'd, I'd actually I hadn't really thought about it that way. Well, you know. I'll be honest, I had a very interesting conversation with a professor of surgery a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about what the, um, 
what the challenges and what the impediments were for women going into general surgery. Um, and I brought up my own specialty, which uh, is a surgical specialty and which actually graduates close to 85% women. Um, and so I thought to myself, well, what are, you know, what are the barriers for women going into general surgery and, and are OBGYNs actually a, 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 a proportion of women who wanted to be general surgeons, but for, for probably multifactorial reasons, um, didn't go into general surgery in part because of the culture of surgery. Um, I know myself, I, I knew I wanted to be a surgeon. Um, I knew that I actually wanted to subspecialize if I were to do general surgery. And I knew that that long residency would not fit with um, my life because I was a non-trad and so I was entering medical school at a little bit of an older age. Um, but having said that, I think that if you were to talk to a lot of medical students about their rotations in, in surgery, uh, if there are, for instance, a lack of female role models or a lack of a positive uh, culture, <clears throat> that, um, that you might see women not going into that specialty in part because of, as you say, the manner by which things are, are taught, the way information is conveyed, the way feedback is given, um, you know, many things. I was, um, I was with someone uh, over the weekend. I was in Buffalo giving a talk on um, gender equity, and I, I met a, a wonderful woman who is an OBGYN, and she actually um, grew up absolutely from the age of like seven knowing she wanted to be a doctor, and she actually knew she wanted to be a pediatric surgeon. And she, she got to medical school, and she, she got to her surgery rotation, and she met uh, a woman, a, surgeon, a woman surgeon, and, and the woman told her, do not go into surgery. It is, it is a... Uh, it's not hospitable for women and it will ruin your life. <laughs> and she took the advice of that one mentor that she met on, the, on her path in medical school and decided to become an OBGYN. And so it made me think, I just, I wonder how many women maybe wanted to be neurosurgeons or wanted to be cardiothoracic surgeons or pediatric surgeons and didn't end up going that route in part because of the lack of role models and possibly because of the culture. Yeah. But Jane, it, could it be that women are being um, smarter by not selecting these, these crazy subspecialties? Meaning, meaning, um, I, you know, um, it, 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 I mean, um, there For are purposes. They are some of the most uh, well-paid fields. They absolutely are, but uh, they are also, they're also, um, from a time standpoint, um, and from a um, uh, from a they're, they're also a, from a time and intensity standpoint, also some of the most demanding. So, meaning that there are careers that seem to demand for all for all the men and women that I know in say neurosurgery or in cardiothoracic surgery. I mean, both fields seem to seem to have tremendous demands for uh, uh, for personal uh, for for personal time. Meaning, there's very little space left for your personal life. Like everything else seems to kind of fit around your, your work. And there certainly are specialties within medicine that, um, that aren't like that, right? There are specialties that there aren't emergencies that you have to get up um, at right. 2 a.m. And, and go in. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, and I'm, I'm in it. it so yeah, is it, uh, yeah, and it, it, that's the hard, that's the thing that's very hard to parse when you're, when you're trying to do this just with, data, you know, 
over and over again, not, not, in, not just in the, in, in, when it comes to gender disparity, right? Over and over again, we see disparity all over society, correct? And the yeah. hardest part, the hardest part in all those other fields, for instance, I'm a, I'm a huge, I cannot stand pay for performance. I can't stand public reporting. Why can't I stand it? It's not because, it's not because I don't think it's good to try to be transparent and good to report outcomes so that we can try to ferret out who's bad and who's good. I just think that the way it's done is absolutely terrible, right? So ProPublica's public reporting scheme, you know, the, for surgeons, right? By individual surgeon deciding, it's atrocious. It's terrible. Like you cannot decide uh, what surgeon to go to based on ProPublica's, uh, you know, uh, algorithm in terms of uh, who's good and who's bad or what their mortality endpoints are, right? Because it, it, as you as you know, being being a surgeon yourself, there's so much more granularity to who's good and bad as than just what is your mortality number, what's your complication rate, correct? And the and yeah, and this happens over and over again. And I mean, I can name like ten things off the top of my head where the problem is risk adjustment, right? And we like st- statisticians, the smart you know, people that are way smarter than I am, um, cannot figure out how to appropriately risk adjust. Um, and if you and and I and I'm fairly sure that you know gender bias, the gender bias literature that's that's come out so far and that's going to come out will probably have. Well, I mean, I guess I'll ask you the question. Don't you think it'll have the same problems? Meaning you're going to be able to show outcome gaps, no question, right? Um, and we can talk about the... Well, are you talking, um, yeah, are you talking about uh, Jenna's uh, study with the uh, Medicare mortality? Is yeah. that what you're we can talk. We can talk about any one of them. So there's, there's the paper that you sent me, uh, 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 the one that looked at uh, cardiologists, for instance, um, men yeah. and women cardiologists, and uh, the, uh, the pay gap that exists there. Um, and there's, and there's, this, you know, there's a big gap there's, I think the, the mean salary for uh, women cardiologists in the study was uh, 400,000. The mean, uh, salary for, uh, uh, male physicians was 500,000. These are big numbers, Michelle. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, so what, I, then, what I found, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. And then when you risk adjust those, you know, those things narrow, right. Um, yeah, yeah. And, then, and then you're, and there's still a difference and the P value is some significant 0.03 or something like that and said, look, there's still a gap here. And you know, uh, how do we, but, but, you know, you, you, you read, you read into the study. And again, if you have an, if you have a non-biased, purely objective, you know, method, method, methodological hat, you see, well, there's only yeah. 220 women, there are 2,500 men in this sample, right? Um, right. You look at the, you yeah. look at the, you look at the scatter plot for RVUs, right? The RVUs seem to yeah. track. So yeah. meaning just as I tear apart Pay for pay for pay for perform uh, pay for uh, performance uh, stuff. I tear apart public reporting data. I do that, you know, all the time. I write about it a lot. Um, I mean, you know, why you know it, why should we take it as as Based given value. fact that there aren't unknown confounders? There isn't granularity that we're missing that may well, explain think, yeah. much of the say the gender the, say the gender pay gap and and, and that, that's just the gender yeah the, the, the pay gap that exists we can get to the, the jenna's mortality paper in a little bit <laughs> well i mean i you know because <laughs> jenna also did the best uh study on the academic medical uh physician salary pay, uh, pay gap as well he's actually on our advisory board yeah so. i know yes <laughs> i know <laughs> but um, having said that, you know, obviously I have deep affinity for his research. I think he's uh, a brilliant, yeah. um, you know, actually Dr. Chu, Dr. Cass and I, we actually podcasted with the, um, the Berkeley uh, professor of health economics who also works for the Rand Corporation, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Whaley, who mm-hmm. performs Doximity's uh, uh, physician compensation 
uh, salary report as well. And so we asked him point blank, um, you know, how is it that, uh, did you address this confounder? Did you address this confounder? Have you accounted for this? And, and basically being a Berkeley professor, he said, yes, yes, yes. And yes, of course, you right. know, the data was adjusted for all of those confounders, you know, right. you know, and, and definitely to your point, there are aspects of the data that, uh, cannot be, uh, or, or are more difficult to tease apart. For instance, um, when you look at, um, when you look at uh, RVUs or when you look at uh, pay uh, in, uh, in when you own your own practice, yep. uh, you know, how is it that women who own their own practice actually make less than men who own their own practice? And, and what Chris said is that, you know, across the board, for the most part, women pay themselves less. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, are we just mimicking uh, what happens to us naturally from society or like, um, but you know, but you're right, the data, the devil, the data, the, the, yeah. the insights is all in the details. Yeah. And we do have to ask really important questions. Having said that, now have uh, looked closely at a lot of pay gap uh, studies, um, as you correctly surmise, the pay gap is there regardless usually of, of whether you, um, or after you have accounted for the co-founders, compounders. But you know, one of my favorite studies, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you might have seen this one, uh, and it came out of New York State, Albany, mm -hmm. and it was a study of a resident, uh, graduating residents starting salaries. Have you seen this study? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, so what they did was over the, yeah. over the course of nine years, yeah. they, um, they looked at graduating residents and, and to be included in the study, you had to have a job offer and it had to be full-time, okay? And um, across all, all specialties, what they found was that there was on average a $17,000 gender pay gap before the first day of work. So nobody's gone on a maternity leave, nobody's had a sick leave, Nothing's happened in their career, but starting out, and, and it actually worsened over time. Uh, so, like, <laughs> yeah. that's gender discrimination. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's had an RVU to compare yet. Right, right, right. right. You know, so I, 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 um, I, I hear you, and I think, um, as I said, you know, I mean, it's, it's possible that the, 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 the differences and, the, you know, is even worse than what, what the data reveals, you know, perhaps. I mean, I'm sort of like any, you know, skeptical of, uh, you know, data analysis or relying entirely on data. And but uh, I think we, we, even without the data, we have a sense that there's going to be uh, there are going to be differences. But going back to a point that Anish was making earlier about being differences between um, the way uh, you know uh, male surgeons, you know, interact with one another or teach or learn or this and that. Um, do you think that's that's important? I mean, how would you, first of all, is it true or, so do we force, if we're going to talk about changing the culture, do we force one mold for everybody to abide by? Do you let people to segregate themselves, you know, more freely, you know, women with women and men with men, you know, how, how do you, um, how do you navigate that if there are differences uh, or is it primarily um, um, uh, a matter of the will and, and sort of following certain protocols or what's, what's your take on well, that? Well, I mean, I would think that, um, you know, there are standards of, 
of teaching and management in the in the operating room. I mean, I'm sure that the majority of surgeons approach a laparoscopic appy uh, the same way. Having said that, you know there is um, there's information that gets shared. Um, uh, we know on the golf course or in the extracurricular activities that happen after work where, um, you know, people are talking about their social lives, but they also might be talking about work-related issues. Um, and those oftentimes uh, are unattended by women. Um, so yeah, there is, there is information and, and teaching that gets conveyed that's probably outside of the operating room or outside of the uh, hospital corridors that becomes important or integral to certain genders. Um, is that kind of what you were getting at? Right. Yeah. Uh, correct. I mean, what's, um, you know, the, the, at the end of the, uh, again, the NASM report, uh, what you get, you get, you know, what you typically get from NASM reports, you get, you know, 12 steps to, you know, and, and, you know, A, B, C, D, you know, and it's sort of, it has a bureaucratic, uh, you know, feel to it and a little bit of uh, drudgery. And, and I'm wondering if that's how, Culture, cultures get changed or, or if there's another way? Well, I, I mean, I think some of the, um, some of the recommendations are absolutely vital and important. For instance, I'm, I love hearing what's coming out of the National Institutes of Health as well, saying that, you know, if we, if we find out that someone uh, who's on a grant or has been given money um, has uh, been, not I, I don't know I can't remember what the language says specifically but uh, a credible uh, proof of, of sexual assault or sexual harassment that that affects funding um, and that we tie citizenship and character you know to the ability to 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 receive government funding or private funding I mean we saw what happened at USC with Pulafito right I mean USC uh, there are plenty of accounts that say that they they knew uh, what was going on, but the fact that he brought in so much money to the university allowed them to turn their cheek uh, as to as. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, and in fact, I mean, that's a little bit what I was alluding to. You know, we want heads to roll in a way. I mean, if there are really bad, you know, people like that, abusive people, yeah. they, they really need to be to be uh, kicked out, and. Um, they need to be kicked out and not sterilized. Uh, but the, um, so, so that brings up a question because when, when we talk about, you know, the culture, I mean, in a way, another thing in the NASM report is that it seems that everything, you know, they were saying that a lot of it is subconscious or unconscious or, or not done with explicit awareness and all that stuff. But if that's the case, is it proper to, to attribute this to the culture? I mean, because in a way, you know, people know that these kinds of behavior are bad. I mean, if they do it sort of undercover, they're bad, I mean, in a sense. So, so and, and they're known to be bad. And, and so... Well, I think, you know, you're, you're kind of talking about or two things that I see. So one is, you know, overt sexual harassment or overt discrimination. And the other is uh, un maybe unconscious bias. So, um, you know, I, I think that if someone is doing something that is criminal or that is um, absolutely outside of the standard, you know, then that needs to be addressed for 
the character of that person. Having said that, if you're going to put together a panel um, and there are women who are just as qualified uh, to be on the panel and yet the panel consists of, of six men, you know, it, addressing unconscious bias is saying, you know, look, our, our panel is all men and yet there are women who are experts in this too. Why don't we consciously make a, an effort to add some diversity to, to our, our CME on this, on this topic? So that, yeah. you know, that's a way right. to address culture right. um, and address some of that unconscious bias. Right, so I understand that, and that, that makes sense. Uh, on the other hand, I, th I think it was your, Dr. Chu, your colleague. Uh, I mean, sometimes, you know, women may be better off just having, being on their own, right? I mean, there was something to that effect and saying, you know, we're not gonna get any guys uh, on this panel and we're just gonna have women. And, you know, I mean, why not? Why not? And, and how do you navigate these differences or, or whether to do this? I mean, clearly right now it's difficult because the hierarchy, there's gonna be more men, you know, everywhere. But as you alluded yeah. to at the beginning, now there's about 50%, uh, more than 50% women graduating from medical school. So it's just a matter of, a few years before by, by you know, I mean, physical uh, reality, there's gonna be more and more women. And then do we let things segregate themselves, uh, you know, uh, in a way that, because there may be things that women wanna to do together and, and not be uh, accountable to sort of bean counting of how many men are gonna be on their committees or on their research. And well, uh, so, so I, how I, mean, I think do? women are already doing that. I think they, I think they already do that. I think though that, you know, what we want to see change is the fact that only 16% of medical deans are women. Uh, if you look at modern healthcare's a hundred most influential people, only 17% of those are women. You know, we, we're happy to have conferences or panels or discussions that are, you know, just women. But what we really want is we want to be equally represented in the in, in all the hierarchies, not just amongst ourselves. So that takes legitimate, thoughtful, calculated addressing addressing unconscious and conscious bias, and making sure to fill the pipeline with women. You know, making sure to offer mentoring opportunities uh, to women equally as men. I mean, there's so many aspects to uh, having. Right, you know, I, I, and I understand that. Do you see a risk in uh, making you know the relationships between men and women a little more difficult if it becomes sort of a bureaucratic um, we're gonna have you know count count the beans and and make sure that there's uh, this and that and and right I now I, I agree that, that it, it may seem it may seem sort of uh, uh, so remote given the current situation but nevertheless I mean I think um, uh, is this something that, that, that one ought to think about at this point? What's that? I want to, I want to show you my okay. pin. And this says, uh, when there are nine. And I love it because it's a quote by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she's asked, like, what's the appropriate number of women to have on the Supreme Court? And she says, nine. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, like, it's been appropriate to have nine men on the Supreme Court for hundreds of years, right? So, you know, I don't think that it's the that there's a right or a wrong number. Um, it, it's just that we deserve a chance to be at the table. Um, and I don't think it, I don't think it's about beans necessarily. I think it's about equal opportunity. Yeah. Do you, is there the, um, um, is there the, I guess, I guess let me try to be more direct then is, is it, 
it, it, so diversity is great. And I, I wrote a piece about uh, the New York uh, University uh, free, the free tuition with New York. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, you know, there are a bunch of, a lot of economists don't like it because they don't like private money going to subsidize, well, you know, people that are going to be future orthopedic surgeons, future OB guys and future cardiologists. And so there are a bunch of poo bears. <laughs> and so I, so I wrote, I wrote in defense of, I said, look, you know, this is, uh, this is, this is, this is silly. But one of the points I made in that piece was that, yeah in rebutting them in terms of why they were saying this was a bad idea, they were saying it's a bad idea because look, you're just going to get a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, you're just, you know, it's important that we get an, the right percentage of PCPs and the right percentage of orthos. And we don't want to be subsidizing, you know, a class that is 90% orthopedics or 90% cardiothoracic surgery or 90% cardiology. We need, you know, the whole point of this is to get more PCPs, right? Uh, or that, that's what they think at least. That's what the economists think. The economists are like, well, if we're not going to be subsidizing, pediatrics and, 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 and future PCPs, then, then we shouldn't be doing this. And this is a bad idea. And so I was saying that, look, I think what we, my rebuttal was that I, I, I love diversity in, in, in medicine. I think medicine is, at least from a color standpoint, has been, uh, compared to other fields, been very diverse in terms of Indians, right? In terms of folks from the Indian, from the subcontinent. I mean, 40% of physicians are, in, are from the Indian subcontinent when we make up some, some half a percent of the population. It's crazy. Um, and so I, I love the fact that anyone has access to, uh, to medical school, has access to becoming a physician. And so I, I like diversity that bubbles up on its own. What I don't like is engineered diversity. So, you know, I think you're making the same point. You're making the point that we want, you know, we as in women want access. We want equal opportunity. And I think, I, I think, I can't think, I can't, I, I can't, I can't think of anyone I've ever spoken to in medicine who has said that we don't, you know, we don't, there are certain people that shouldn't have the same opportunities as others. I think where I'll push back slightly is and say that should we, should we be engineering diversity though? Just the same thing I said about, you know, in rebutting the economists about free medical school saying, look, it's not your job to say, which one of these awesome, if, if, if New York medical school gets fantastic people and they all decide to go surgery, then that's great. We got, we, we in medicine as a profession got awesome people and they all decided to go into plastic surgery and, and we need awesome plastic surgeons, general surgeons, OB guys, and we need good PCPs. But I, I, I get very nervous when you start talking about engineering diversity to say, well, hey, I, so I'll push that's back the question. Yeah. I'll push back on you. And, yeah. and, and what I'll say is, you know, we had a recent study that came out that showed that black physicians had right. better outcomes right. with black patients. Right. 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 Um, and yet black physicians are not represented in medicine proportionally. Right. So, um, so do we have to do we have to somehow help make medicine a more palatable uh, career choice? I mean, what what are the barriers uh, for black? You know, it's interesting because uh, it's uh, again. I mean, that may seem sort of remote and, and, and irrelevant, but I, I study medical history. Yeah. And um, before there was a lot of uh, government intervention in healthcare, particularly around licensing uh, at the turn of the last century. There were many uh, medical colleges for for uh, black people and for women. And, and black communities had a lot of more access to doctors and women had a lot of female doctors. And then you have government intervention, which really, it, it shut down, you know, all the, 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 almost all the black medical colleges uh, in the name of quality and all that stuff. Uh, so to Anisha's point, in, in essence, I mean, I want to, if there's less intervention, 
there will actually be more opportunity for a lot of people and and self sort of a natural maybe spontaneous um, uh, emergence. Right now there are barriers. There's no question about it. But the barriers, are, uh, if if I understand what Anish is saying, is that we're we're sort of moving the barriers from here and moving putting different kinds of barriers, and that potentially could be dangerous. Maybe yeah. not in the short term, but maybe uh, maybe down the line. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to disagree. We live in a patriarchy, so our 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 institutions reflect that patriarchy, and we live in a society that is, I think, inherently racist. And I think that it, our our, uh, our our medical institutions reflect that as well. So I think that if we want to see uh, medicine look different and act different, we actually have to take proactive steps in order to to get there. So you don't think you don't think we should take the best available uh, candidates into medical school? That's not what I'm saying at all. That that no. No, no. Meaning meaning meaning. How do you? Because I mean, the issue is. I mean, it's not. I I mean, it's it's a hard it's a hard sell for me to say that we're not attempt. We're not trying to provide. Look, the, the issue is not that I don't think society may uh, society may may have uh, uh, systemic disadvantages built in for for certain of under, course, under, right? I, i'm not saying that at all clearly yeah. that's evident and there's history to that and whatnot what what i take issue with is using medical school i mean medical school we're, we're training future doctors we're training people that are going to be taking care of you your mom at 2 a.m when she's in kidney failure and hypotensive I, I want I want by the time by the time we get to medical school, by the time we're selecting people for medical school to do things like take care of people's lives, I want I would love to see a place where we don't care about the color of skin, we don't care about gender, we don't no. care about the, the uh, I don't know what what style hair you have, we don't care about how many piercings you have or tattoos. I don't care about any of that stuff. I want the best available people to be there for my mom at two a.m. And so, sure. so you know, I, so I, are we are we are we doing that? And, and are we not, is it not too, is it, I understand the intent, but if we get to a place where we are selecting people because of certain characteristics that I think don't have much to do with the ability to take care of a really sick per person and think through things at 2am, then I, then I, I don't, I don't think we as a profession are, 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 are doing right by ourselves or our patients. But that's not that's not what I'm talking about because we're not. I didn't think we were talking about the gatekeeping that is the MCAT and and the uh, and the grades to get in the med school and choosing the best candidate. What I thought we were talking about was what happens after medical school, which uh -huh. is are people um, are people paid equitably? Are they promoted oh. equitably? Is right. leadership in medicine reflective of the diversity of the of the population that's matriculating? And the answer to that is blatantly, of course, no, it's not. And so that oh. that's really what I'm talking about. But how would you? But but you brought up the point that you know. But uh, you brought up the point that we don't have the right. Uh, just now, you said we don't have the right. Uh, uh, distribute the right, uh, what do you say, the right representation of physicians exactly. that are calculating to take yeah. care of the population. But yeah. that's, that's what I mean. Like, uh, meaning, look, I'm sorry, 40% of physicians are Indian. Like, if you, if you start to make these arguments that, or I'm not suggesting you're saying this specifically. I'm just saying I worry about where these arguments go to, right? I mean, if you start to say that we need a representative group of physicians to take care of a population, meaning they need to marry each other, then there shouldn't yeah. be, then 40% of physicians shouldn't be Indian. It should be like half a percent. 
you know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say? Uh, I'm trying to say do, out of a I job, Coca. Like, <laughs> I'm fighting for my life here. <laughs> I feel I feel like we're sort of I feel like we're sort of on you know we're both on the same road we're both on the yeah. same highway but we are I feel like talking maybe a little bit about about different things uh -huh. um, because I I think that um, we obviously want the best people taking care of our our family members. Having said that. Um, I, I think we as women, we, we want to be paid equitably. We want to, you know, receive the same types of promotions. And we want to work in a workplace that doesn't harass us yeah. and that right. isn't discriminatory against us because of our sex. Yeah. Um, right. So that, I, I think you do support that. And so I, I think that, you know, your comment about the best and the 40% Indian, I don't, I don't think I have a disagreement with that. Right. No, no, ab absolutely. Yeah. We don't want to stray too far away from that. From, uh, absolutely. It's, it's the, the point that, you know, any, this gender bias that may clearly, ex that clearly uh, exists on multiple levels in, in medicine is something that we have to do uh, something about. It seems though, Jane, is there uh, optimism in the fact that uh, there are so many women that are coming into, into medical school? Meaning, despite the fact that uh, and again, I was surprised. I, I was unlike Michelle and you. I was I was honestly surprised by the by how much uh, harassment uh, goes on on a on a I guess on a daily basis in uh, in these institutions. Um, but it, 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 shockingly, the other thing that surprised me was that despite the fact that this must be so prevalent, this is something that I guess women are talking about, and they're not not talking about it to me or whatnot. Um, and despite that, so many women are flooding into medicine. Is there does that does that suggest at least that 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 the mentors are telling enough enough folks, or, or there's enough of a role modeling going on that that makes it a an attractive profession for women? Do you think? Well, I think it's a really good question, and it's you know it's been we've been at 47, 48, 49, and now a little over fifty for a long time. I want to say you know close to. Um, uh, 15 years or so. So it has been a, an equal distribution for quite a while. Um, having said that, you know, I, I've been reflecting on this a lot lately. I have been my daughter's Girl Scout troop leader uh, since she was in kindergarten, and now she's in fifth grade. And um, and we've been talking uh, across industries, not, not only in medicine, but in law and finance and venture capital and tech and advertising. We've been talking about uh, what happens in the evolution of, of a woman being in the workplace and when does it sort of turn um, turn south? And so I, I thought this statistic was interesting. And this is actually obviously in contrast to what physicians experience. So um, whereas there is that uh, oftentimes immediate pay gap upon graduating residency and starting your first job as a physician, um, if you were to look at MBA graduates, they actually start out very uh, similar in salary. However, after 10 years, there's a 57% pay gap between male and female. So uh, let's talk about the fact that something happens in the workplace, uh, in medicine, but also in other industries, uh, something happens in the workplace that then creates pay gaps, promotion gaps, and, and cultures that are not hospitable. And, and I think that what happens is society. I think, I think our culture, which is naturally uh, sexist, I think that's what happens to women in the workplace. And it, it really doesn't matter what workplace you're talking about. Um, 
So I think that I do think that we sell our our young women, we sell our girls. I know I I, I live right next to JPL. Uh, a lot of the kids in my uh, kids class, their their dads and and some moms work at JPL. So we are STEM STEM. 100% of the time, focus, robotics and uh, chemistry and science Olympiad. And, and I've been thinking about the fact that, that we, we, we tell our young women, we tell our young girls, you can be anything. And yes, you know, uh, intellectually, you can be anything. But what we don't tell them is you can be anything, but once you get there, 50% of you are going to be sexually harassed in the workplace. Like, <laughs> that's, that's not cool. You know what I'm saying? So, but but what we're talking about is fixing a very very systemic uh, problem in our society that's not confined to medicine. Yeah, no, it's uh, certainly certainly is the case. The um, the uh, you know one of the things um, that I I have two daughters and uh, and, and a two year old uh, boy, <laughs> and um, one of the things I was thinking so I'm, I've been you know pushing STEM on my on my girls you know, eleven and nine for God knows how long, since they were like four. Was, you know, this is like classic Indian parent, like, you know. Right, right, right. I'm, I'm sorry, not, not, I mean, American parents too, but anyway, it's, a, it's a, just a stereotype, stereotype for Indian uh, parents to like kind of be on top of them in terms of pushing STEM and you have to be a doctor and engineer. And I'm the same, I'm, I'm kind of like that, you know, I'm, I'm just constantly pushing that and she wants to be a fashion designer and I, and I you know, I, I think I only half jokingly said, you know, <laughs> half of fashion designers end up homeless, you know, just. <laughs> So, you know, so I have that, so I'm trying to enculture it. Then, you know, one of the things I was thinking about was that it, it's clear to me that like my elder daughter, for instance, just doesn't have the same affinity for uh, math that, that I did at the same, at the same age. And, you know, I'm pushing her and it's like, you know, there are tears that I have more tears than she does. It's like, you know, 9 PM. It, it's like terrible. And, <laughs> and I, you know, one of those, one of these times I was thinking, I was like, am I, I wonder if I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I wonder if I'm, I am, you know, you know, I talk about how society and you're not, you're not allowed, you shouldn't take, you shouldn't accept the limits that society gives you. Like, I want you to be just as good as the, you know, the boy. I don't want, I don't want the boys in class. And I remember this from school. I don't want the boys in class to be overconfident and be like, you know, talk a lot and, and, you know, and, and you being a girl and maybe just being a little bit behind because, you know, I haven't pushed you enough and you kind of getting lost by the wayside. You know, I, I don't want that to happen to her. And so that's why I'm trying to push her so much. And then at some point I was like, I, I, you know, I, I was like, am I, am I doing the right thing? I'm like, am I pushing her to do something that she doesn't want to do? Would she be perhaps much more, would she have much more affinity to do something, you know, something different? Um, this is not boy, girl, gender. I'm just saying, talking about her. So I, I yeah. So I wonder, so I, I, sometimes I, I wonder whether or not, like, which is it? Is it the fact it is, is women a lot of times do choose to do, do choose, uh, does, uh, they, they choose family over career. They, they choose weekends, et cetera. And, and some of that, and, and a lot of that is believed to be, it, or not believed to be, it is societal pressure, right? Meaning it's the women's job to kind of be thinking about who's babysitting who and blah, 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 correct? That's traditionally the way the roles have been set up. Um, if you, if, if women had, if, if women really had, you know, if you're free to do whatever you want and you get paid exactly what you're going to get, you should get paid. What would women do? That's a hard question to answer, correct? I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, to your point, definitely, you know, a great study shows that women work on average eight point, women physicians 
yeah. work an average 8.5 hours more per week on uh, housework and childcare yeah. than do their male colleagues. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, there's a great study showing uh, comparing women physicians with women lawyers yeah. and um, exactly the same women physicians end up spending 116 minutes more per day on childcare and housework uh, and lo- female lawyers, it's 110. So um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a societal um, thing, um, which, um, what was your question? <laughs> meaning, meaning, is that, is it, is it, if, if women had the freedom to choose whatever it is they wanted to do, what, 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 you know, how, how do we know what, so for instance, I, I'm bringing this because in some Scandinavian countries where they're, in, I, I don't know, I'm sure you've seen the studies, it, you know, equity is, they have a tremendous amount of gender well, equity, right? Yeah. And, and, and given the freedom to choose X, Y, and Z, women still seem to choose jobs or choose career paths that give them more time to spend with family or spend with kids, et cetera. So, I mean, is, is it, how do we, um, I mean, how, how do we know, how do we, how do we know which is it? Meaning, you know how I'm pushing my child to do STEM, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, is it, but am I doing the right thing by pushing her to do STEM when, you know, I'm getting the sense that she doesn't quite have the same affinity that, 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 you know, that, 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 that I did. This is nothing to do with the fact that she's a girl, of course. I'm just saying yeah. a square peg, round hole type of thing. But meaning is there, I, I know society, you know, society, when they're raising women to this, for whatever reason, many of the women I talk to, they want weekends with their kids. They want to send their children off to, to school, uh, et cetera. And I know that's societal pressure. What I'm asking is how do we, like tomorrow, if I were to tell my wife to trade with, with me, for instance, she would say, absolutely not. You're absolutely crazy. No way. This is, I want X, Y, and Z. And I don't know if, you know, and that's obviously relation between me and my wife, but I, I really don't think it's, I really don't think it's me saying, this is what you have to do. I think, I, I think a lot of it comes from, comes from her. Meaning is it, how much of, how do we parse oh, out what society yeah. wants and what, what, what women want, meaning what do the mass of women want to do? If we let the mass of women choose whatever they wanted to do. Well, I can, I can guarantee you it's not laundry and yeah, it's no, not, not, laundry. not cleaning the bathroom. No, 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 not that. No, that's for sure. No, but, but is it, but is it, is it staying, is it, is it having, is it not being on weekend call so that, so that they can spend time with kids? Is it, is it not, uh, is it, um, you know, working, uh, is it choosing jobs that uh, will make you work 40 hours a week as opposed to jobs that, are 90 to 100 hours a week, meaning, uh, is, you know, I, well, I think, so, you know, here's, here's what, here's another example. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so I think you're asking a really good question, but it is, it is obviously multifactorial and very broad. Having said that, you know, when you look at um, that same study that showed that women worked 8.5 hours more yeah. per week uh, in yeah. the home, they also had, I believe it was over 80% of their um, spouses worked full time outside of the home versus 45% of male physicians had spouses that worked full time outside of the home. So, right. you know, there is obviously a finite amount of work that has to be done. And the question is, who's doing the work? Right. Um, and, and so, you know, that to me is, is a math problem, but it's also a gender expectation problem. I mean, I think that a lot of women would, 
would maybe be happy working more hours a week at work if there was someone that was going to pick up the slack at home. Um, but as you say, societal and gendered expectations are that um, a lot of this burden does fall to the women. And, and you know, you know, it's interesting because studies show that when men take paternity leave of equal amounts that that women take maternity leave, that that actually helps a lot with pay and promotion gap uh, gaps in general. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that you know oftentimes men are reluctant to take uh, paternity leaves, and is that because they don't want to take the leave, or is it because they feel that their expectations uh, in their workplace will not be suitable for them? That is to say, that they would be thought of as less committed um, to their work. I mean, I think that you know there's a lot that goes into uh, to that. Now, obviously women being biologically the provider of nutrition, um, don't, you know, have the choice to not to take or not take maternity leave. Obviously majority of women need to, uh, take that maternity leave for bonding, for feeding, for, for all those other things. Um, you know, so the questions are, the questions are great, but they are, there's, there's so many pieces uh, of the answer that, you know, you, you tease out one thread and, and then you've got three others that unravel and you have to follow those out. So, I mean, it's like an impossible question to answer in a podcast. No. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. It, the other, the other thing um, I wanted to, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, it, it, there's obviously a gender, there's obviously a pay gap that exists, uh, you know, and I, I think we need to do whatever is, I, I spoke to somebody, another woman in the department where, again clinical volume was the same and yet there was this difference in pay and and you know i, I it's like and it's so it's so odd to me in 2018 i mean i i felt like i was living under a rock to kind of hear about these things um <laughs> women. i was like i couldn't i couldn't believe it and so I, I you know in reading in reading more i was i was so one of the things i came across was that men in general have 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 a or have it like a dis a disagreeable personality trait, especially, again, this is social science literature, so take the data, which you will, but that there's a, there's a, you know, men are much more disagreeable, meaning men are much more likely to ask for pay raises. Yeah. <laughs> men are much more likely to be more difficult negotiators. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, there, there's, you know, there's some, again, I'm, I, I love data. I'm a, I'm a cardiologist. I, I, I spend a lot of time with data. So it's not that, I'm introducing anecdotes because I'm against data. It's just that I find anecdotes inform data much better and make yeah. data have meaning to me much more. But, uh, you know, when I'm in, in chatting with um, two, you know, two physicians, a male and a female cardiologist, um, she's about four or five years behind him and there's a pay gap and the RVUs are about the same, but yet there's a pay gap. And in asking more, I'm like, what is going on? Why is that? I mean, this is somebody who's relatively close. And I'm like, well, I don't, you know, the, the female cardiologist said, well, I don't do, I don't do weekends. Um, you know, I had a baby four months ago and I don't do weekends and nobody's really mentioned that to me. I mean, I just, I just wasn't doing weekends and nobody really said anything. So, you know, I had a meeting with, with the chief and I didn't really ask for anything because I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want them to bring up this whole week. I didn't want them to bring up this whole weekend thing. Um, so then I asked, well, the next time, are you going to ask for it? And are you going to, do you think, Oh, are you going to ask her? Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I should. And the next time I'll do that. And I don't find, I don't think, I don't think most men, most men would, would, you know, just come out in the beginning and be like, what, what the heck is going on? Like, why, why is there this pay gap that exists? Yeah. And if there is a pay gap that exists, that's because of weekends, then fine. I'll do, I'll do a couple. No, I asked her. That's right. I asked her, 
well, would you do some more weekends to, to make the pay gap the same? She's like, yeah, absolutely. I would. Right. But yeah. she hasn't, but she hasn't, she's, she's never asked. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. I, one of the books I really love this uh, spring that I read is called by Joanne Lippman and yeah. she's a, she's a journalist, but she had, uh, she compiled a lot of interesting facts. And one of those is, is that women actually, uh, in order to ask for a raise oftentimes feel that they have to be, 120% deserving of the race. That is to say, they feel like they have to be overqualified right. to ask for anything. Whereas right. men culturally will right. be at 85% capacity and be like, yeah, I deserve that. Like, duh. Right. You know? right. um, and so it's a confidence gap, really. Right, right, right. Which again, I guess comes down to the culture. Uh, in terms exactly. Of um, all right. The, 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 uh, the, the other part, and this part it touches on something Michelle said earlier. In terms of trying to... Um, uh, you know, um, trying to, like, how, how do we, you know, making a path forward and you're doing this with the, the company, the, the equity quotient, quotient, correct? Correct. EQ, that you've co-founded with Esther and Dara. Yeah. Is that right? No, it's just me and Esther for oh, the you equity. And Esther, sorry, you and Esther yeah. and, and uh, Dr. Uh, Anupam, Dr. Jenna is, uh, is an advisor to that. Yeah. Um, do you, do you think that, um, um, is is there any in terms of how you would go about doing that? So, say take the gender gender gap issue, right? Um, if you, in the, there's one pot, there's one pot, and you're asking for more. Does that mean that men will make less? Yes. Right. Right. Unless, unless healthcare organizations want to up their ante. Right. 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 So that that no, and that's and that's really the core of EQ, right? Is because right. and 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 I, this is very being very very blunt. I'm being very blunt with yeah. you here. Yeah. But you know what? It's about power and it's about money. Right. Right. And um, I don't think men are going to give up power or right. money because they believe in in equity. Right. I don't think so. I don't think it's within human nature to. Or I think that the only way that 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 happens is through um, hopefully through objective data um, because right. if it were a moral right. imperative, it would have happened already. Right. Right. I and think also through the course of human history, moral imperatives have not uh, driven yeah, much. Not uh, so then it gets, to, then it, yeah, no, it's very true. So then it gets to the approach to it, right? So the, there's two approaches that, you know, the civil rights movement um, or in, whatever civil rights movement, or you look at Indian independence from the British, there are multiple approaches and yeah. you know, the British, uh, controlled India for 200 years. Um, and, uh, you know, throughout that whole time, there were mutinies that were taking place and, you know, they were put down pretty brutally by the, by the, uh, by the British. Uh, these are armed mutinies. Um, they were put down pretty brutally and it wasn't until, it wasn't until, uh, you know, Mahatma Gandhi, um, took a very different approach, uh, the approach of nonviolence, of marches. And again, there's many reasons why I think he was successful, you know, Britain recovering from World War II and being destroyed and whatnot. Um, also, their greater social consciousness in Britain that didn't exist X number of years ago. But regardless, um, and, and, and you saw the same, you know, you saw Martin Luther King taking a, uh, taking a page out of uh, Gandhi's playbook when in his, in his, in his marches. And in his, in his, I have a dream speech, he specifically says, you know, I, this this should this this speech that I'm giving, I'm paraphrasing, is not a call to arms. Uh, this is, you know, we must we must continue to be, you know, to 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 behave in a nonviolent uh, uh, fashion, uh, but but protest, not 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 be silent, but protest. Correct. Right. So, so the question I have for you is, the path, and you can and correct me if I'm wrong. The path that we seem to be marching on is one of 
power must power must power must bend to power, right? Meaning, men have power, uh, and then we will make them kneel, or you know, they will bend the knee if you're against. <laughs> Uh, we'll make them bend the knee and, and, you know, we will take power from it. Meaning, you know, that's something is, Esther and I have never said, okay? I just oh, want to no, no, put that no. out there I'm on not, the airway. We've never yeah, said that. Sorry. I'm not saying you said it. I'm not <laughs> saying you're saying meaning, meaning, meaning this, but I'm just echoing what you're saying in terms of, you know, it's a, it's, it's something that is going to have to, how are we going to change it? It's not going it, to, it doesn't sound like you're taking the no, path we're, of nonviolent purpose. Yeah. appealing to enlightenment principles. We're, we're, we're appealing to reason and, and data. We're not appealing to a sword. And, and obviously with our New England Journal article, we're appealing to the pen as well. Um, no, no, it's, there's, no, there's no takeover. There's no, uh, there's, there's, no, there's no violence necessary. The data oh, yeah. for itself. Yeah, no, no violence. Meaning, what about, what about um, uh, so say, say things like, you know, um, what what was um, like when when Esther was talking about um, the ultrasound panel? Correct. Um, I, I can tell Esther is very upset. She's upset because all these ultrasound things exist. There are like no women on any of those panels, right? And Esther's like, yeah. what the heck? And so Esther's response is, I'm making my own panel, and there will be no men on this panel. Um, you know, we are not going to allow men on this panel. Now it's not explicitly stated for those other things that there aren't men on the ultrasound panel. Correct. Um, but here is this, a is this a Twitter thread? Cause I don't know. I'm not familiar with it. Oh, there was a video that, uh, you, you actually retweeted it. That's how I saw it. Um, a, okay. a video of her, her going off on, um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, remember the ultrasound, the ultrasound I panel, I think her husband tweeted and then you retweeted it. I remember. Um, yeah. So, you know, you know, anything Esther says is genius. So I just, I just retweeted yeah. automatically. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a bad, not a bad to go. And then, you know, you know the other, you know, this, this concept of, you know, this one, the one nice thing about putting women up for leadership positions, uh, you know, is that you generally don't have to worry about how rapey they are, you know, just as how rapey they are, exactly. Meaning, <laughs> meaning are these, are these said, are, the, are these things said in earnest or are they said in, in meaning uh, in, in jest or meaning you can see how, you can see how folks are going to, uh, do, do you think, the response to male toxicity, which we all agree exists, yeah. is the response to male toxicity, female toxicity? No, no, not at all. And actually the data doesn't show that out. I mean, it's been interesting. I, I've been listening also, speaking of a podcast, I've been listening to a really great podcast about the history of, of, of our sexist culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's coming out of the Duke. It's actually not sponsored by Duke, but it's recorded down there. Okay. Um, and, um, and, and it's, you know, I, I, I don't think that men, I don't think that women are men without power. I think that women are completely different entities and we statistically um, are not rapey. Uh, uh, so I, I, I don't think that we're asking to, to replicate the patriarchy. I think we're asking um, for less violence and, and for, for a, a gentle equity, but I mean, yeah, to get there, I think men are going to lose power and they're going to lose some money as well. But that's, um, but so, uh, so let me, so let me take it out of this context. Say the, 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 the Jenna paper on uh, Medicare mortality between men and women. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I, I don't find, I, I don't find how that paper, I mean, that, that, that paper has issues that I take in terms of how do you, attribution issues, right? I mean, you have a female attending, male attending, 
you're telling, you're asking me to believe that a female attending 51% of the time versus, because a female attending touches a patient 51% of the time, that then there's this outcome gap that's seen. But forget, forget the methodologic issues that I'd, I'd have with, with, that, with that paper. Say we, we accept it that female physicians are truly, uh, you know, will, so, uh, truly will bring you lower mortality, right? The, the, okay. the discussion portion of that paper uh, says that, you know, um, that 32,000 people a year uh, would be saved if, 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 you know, if this, if, if you could get rid of this, this gap. Um, how, I, I just, I just don't find how that's helpful at all, right? Meaning you have the physician work group that you have. Um, you mean, why, not, why, why, not try to, why, why do the study? Like do a different well, study? Well, no, no, do the study. I mean, I'm all for folks doing, do, do the study and say that, you know, there's this interesting thing that we found in this observational study and there's a gap and, you know, we have to work to figure out. Well, but, I guess, you know. But, but how, but how, but don't you, I mean, how do you, I mean, it would be, suppose I did a study and I showed that Native American uh, background physicians had uh, 20% lower, 20% uh, higher mortality in managing diabetics. How is that helpful at all? Oh, it's super helpful. It's super helpful. I'll tell you why, because, you know, we actually have a crisis in maternal mortality, as you maybe have seen in some yeah. of the popular literature. Yeah. Obviously, ProPublica has come after our right. special community fairs. Yeah. Um, but, but no, I mean, one of, the, one of the reasons I think that we have such uh, high levels of maternal mortality in the black community is in part because of systemic racism. And I think that systemic racism expresses itself in the care that the physicians provide. So I, I do think that physicians do need to be looking at, get trained in, understand the statistics around how they provide care and how that affects the mortality or morbidity of their patients. Because you can't you can't have black women dying 12 times that of white women and not say there's a failure in the healthcare system. And, and by system, I mean at all levels. I think, that it, I think that that systemic racism, at least as far as pregnant black women are concerned, I think it happens from the moment they hit the triage desk. I think it's the secretary. I think it's the nurse. I think it's the doctor. I think it's um, the, the research and the data that we, that we do and how we conduct our studies and how that affects our uh, thoughts about um, uh, black, uh, the treatment of, of, of black women in pregnancy. Um, so I, I, I do actually think that these are valuable questions and I do think they're, that their answers will hopefully allow us to eliminate as much of the bias that we naturally have, whether examined or unexamined, obviously most of the time unexamined, and, and, and have that their outcomes because that ultimately is what is what we all want yeah yeah no i, I have again I, I take i take issue with some of those uh with some of that 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 data the maternal mortality data. like again you're showing outcomes and there's a, a massive asymmetry but i mean i, I trained at, at temple in north philadelphia and and, and i've trained at jefferson which is a center city i mean th there's there, there's clearly a massive difference between patients that we're seeing in North Philly versus patients that I'm seeing here in Center City. And I, just like I question other stuff, I mean, I'm, again, I question all sorts of other outcome differences um, in terms of what I'm seeing. I have a, I have a massive difficulty truly believing that, that the data is capturing and is capturing the, 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 the 
how sick the patients that you're seeing there are in terms of what prenatal care they received. There are deep systemic issues that relate to why um, infant mortality is so poor uh, by zip code, why maternal mortality is so poor by zip code. Um, and, and, I'm, and, and I'm not denying that some level of racism and bias must exist starting from the uniclerk on and some of that may be implicit, some of, some of it certainly could be explicit as well. But I don't think it, ex I, I have trouble believing that explains most of it. I think the vast majority of it, uh, at least from the experiences that I've, I've had in terms of differences in zip codes, uh, forget maternal mortality, just differences, of, say take cardiovascular outcomes by patients presenting, black patients presenting um, in a certain zip code versus, uh, versus, you know, uh, versus a white patient presenting another zip code. A significant portion of that relates not necessarily to uh, to operator bias or system bias, a lot of that depend, relates to how sick those patients are when they hit the door. Meaning, meaning those patients have been working on their societal biases that keep people poor, that make food choices very different, that make you know any number of things. I mean, the average BMI is different. It's very, very hard to adjust for, for socioeconomic status, I think. I mean, there was just a study that came out uh, uh, last week, looking at um, high-risk readmission program, right? The high-risk readmission program, and looking at how hospitals are uh, reimbursed based on that. And certain hospitals get big-time penalties because they have uh, readmissions uh, at a significant rate. And again, the study shows, and the data is pretty. I think the data is pretty clear. And the study shows that you know this the, the, the socioeconomic the, the risk factors that go along, uh, the confounders that go along with socioeconomic status are just not. Uh, well, you know, uh, accounted for. So, I mean, well, I have an idea. I have an idea. Would, I'll provide but, you a reading list, and you can provide me a reading list, <laughs> and then we can talk again. <laughs> no, we could, we could. But because I disagree with you. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's that, that, that's fine. I mean, we, we that, that's fine. It's okay. We, we're allowed to have disagreements. We don't have to agree on everything. Um, <laughs> and actually, I have to go pick up my son from yeah, school yeah, yeah. here pretty soon. That, that's fine. That's fine. We'll, we'll we'll wrap we'll wrap up. But um, the. I just, the reason I'll just finish by saying that the reason I found it unhelpful is that we have a certain physician workforce and I think we just need to try to make the physician workforce the best possible, meaning we want to, we want to tie the lifts all boats. And so I, yeah. I don't know that selecting out individual demographics and saying, Hey, you suck and therefore you, you suck. And therefore, you know, we have to put, we have to do, you know, we need to do and then and, and target you as being especially bad for a reason. Uh, I, I don't, I don't quite think that that is a good solution moving forward because what we want is a I agree there's no there should be no USAC campaign right oh, good so we can we can end we can end in agreement <laughs> look at that well thank you I'm sorry it ran a little bit long it was just such a good conversation to have so I appreciate uh, you coming on and we'll definitely hopefully have you on again if uh, you haven't uh, been uh, harmed too much by no our no program. no and, and and you should bring my and you should bring Esther on too so we can have uh, we can have a good time with absolutely or, or, Dara, or Dara they're both Excellent podcasters. Wonderful. Alrighty. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Jane. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Akkad and Coca Report. Subscribe for free on iTunes or Stitcher at akkadandcoca.com, where you'll find detailed show notes, our blog, and more. akkadandcoca.com.